0: Bandwidth for change log is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Johnny Borsico, and it is go time, y'all.
1: It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Everybody for another episode of Go Time. Today is episode number 30. Today's show is actually sponsored by Stack Impact and Backtrace. On today's show, uh, myself, Eric St. Martin, Carly Shipinto is also here. Hi, everybody. And Bill Kennedy is joining us as well. Yo. And finally, uh, if you couldn't tell from the excited announcement, uh, we also have Johnny Bersico on the, the call. How are you, Johnny? I am doing very well. So last episode, we we kind of had the fun. Um, and if you listen to it and it didn't sound as entertaining as you thought it would, look for the raw, <laughs> uncut version in the show notes, and it becomes even more funny. Uh, this episode, we're going to um, come closer to the heart this episode and kind of have some deep conversations about uh, imposter syndrome. And especially with uh, so many of these conferences coming up and doing call for papers and a lot of meetups looking for people to give presentations like now is the time to kind of uh, step out of that fear and uh, start submitting some talks and, and blogging and, and talking about the stuff that you love. And if you are joining us live, feel free to jump into the GoTime FM channel on the Gopher Slack. This can go back and forth if you guys want to ask us questions. If there's anything that any of us on the show have done successes or or things that we we've talked about that it appears we're very knowledgeable on, challenge us on that. And I know myself, I'm happy to explain where my, my level of understanding actually ends because I think it's important to kind of tear down these walls of perception where we we look at somebody from the outside and we assume that they have some level of knowledge, but really we only see the parts that they share. So anybody thoughts? Anybody anybody wanna kick off this conversation? Well, I think
0: it's good to start with a definition, right? We have to sort of understand the problem.
2: I was just gonna say that.
0: (laughs) See, we're thinking alike already.
2: Yeah, because I, I think sometimes maybe we we mix up imposter syndrome, which can be a very debilitating thing, with just lack of confidence, which is a different different thing. Also, not good, but it's different.
1: I think it's it's hard though too because. You know, um i I get into debates, too. And if Brian were on the show, he'd call me on it too, because Brian's been beating that dead horse for years with me um to kind of to kind of get out of my own way. But I think that that there can be a difference between um confidence and insecurity and kind of like the effects that imposter syndrome has, right? So like me personally, like i'm I'm pretty bad about it and and uh, everybody's took years to convince me to to speak publicly and the only reason I agreed to do this show was uh, kind of forcing myself to get out of my comfort zone. But um, I, I've, I'm confident in my abilities. I know I'm, I'm a good programmer and that I build good things. But when it comes to like getting out in public, that changes. Does that make sense? So I think, I think people can be confident in their abilities, but still kind of have that fear of, of kind of like exposing themselves publicly.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, if you've ever felt like a fraud, right? Um, regardless of your level of level of knowledge of any given topic, if you ever felt like a fraud, and you thought that exposing yourself to the world, right, would confirm those feelings, I mean, the struggle is real. I mean, that that is that is you're actually suffering from from imposter syndrome. It's 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 basically it's it's pretending to be others, looking at yourself and criticizing yourself, right? Um, it's so, it's sort of a lack of understanding of of how you should see yourself, your self-worth, your self-esteem. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it might be a, like, I mean, it, I'm pretty sure it's a psychological sort of problem to be able to reflect on yourself in that way.
1: And I think that the problem isn't just in technical stuff. I think it's really about um, personal happiness in all of life. And like, is I, it interesting? I had, I was at the doctor's office and I was talking to one of the nurses To Somehow we got in a conversation. I brought it up the whole, like, why I don't use A lot of social media especially facebook and a lot of it you know outside you know people like to to like call each other out on facebook and stuff like that but more importantly for me is it's that the constant view of the curated content from people right you only see the best of people's lives and you think everybody else is happier than me right like everybody else has is living this perfect life and only i have problems right so i think it's the same thing when we look at people we admire in the technical community too because we see all the good stuff they put out we see it after it's been through 10 revisions and you know we don't see like the behind the scenes and what's going on and their own insecurities so we perceive them to be at some level and then we hold ourselves and compare ourselves to that perceived level and not the actuality of it right and that's the key. I think you just nail
0: nail it right on the head there. It's it's the comparing yourself right to to everybody else. And, and you don't know sort of their circumstances what got them to, to where they're at. Right. You don't know what total level of preparation they had to put into whatever it is that you're judging them based you know, based on. So it's it's I mean, I always sort of have to remind myself, OK, that the only person I should ever be judging you know, myself, my character, who I am, too, is, is me from yesterday. Right. So if I'm saying always saying that, OK, I need to get better better than, it's going to be better than me from yesterday, not everybody else out in the world. Because I, I, their circumstances and mine are, are different. It's not the same thing.
3: I sometimes feel like I'm living a double life because I work really hard to try to make sure that what I'm communicating is accurate. But I always internally have this lack of confidence that I'm going to say something wrong, which is why up until really recently, you haven't seen a lot of meetups record. And I love talking at meetups, but I haven't wanted to record too much because it's like my safety blanket to say, if I made a mistake, at least the world isn't going to see it. But when I get up in front of that group, I've got to shut that off and say, I'm up here and I've got to pretend I'm an authority on this and I've got to be that person. And then when that's over, I go back into my like panic mode. Like, what did I do? What did I say? Is everything going to be okay? Um, and then get the courage to do it again you know, the next time. So it's crazy.
1: It's funny you say that, you know, because it's it's kind of the same thing from my perspective, too. And for years, I've I've avoided public speaking and blogging about stuff. And I just wanted to work on cool stuff. I didn't want to share it out of kind of like that fear. And even the podcast, I mean, we're on episode 30 and it's like this is I'm just starting to get to a point where like my anxiety isn't just like making my heart pump out of my chest every time the the mic turns on. Right. People don't people don't see that, right? Like they see kind of like the outward perspective and you're you're analyzing everything you're doing and every um and ah and nervousness and and things like that, but most people don't realize. So they perceive that like you're just, you know, this walking ball of confidence, right? Just walking out on stage preaching to people and stuff like that. And they don't see the nervous wreck, you know, that everybody is for months beforehand kind of preparing. Although there are some people who can just do it. Like Uh, Brandon Phillips from CoreOS, he's just, I watched him backstage, he's just working on his computer, just waiting for them to tap him on the shoulder and be like, all right, you're up. And he's just like, just goes on stage and everybody else is just kind of like, like rocking in their shoes, kind of comforting themselves before they go up on stage.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I think we have to sort of disassociate the knowledge that you as, as a presenter, right, that you're going to sort of relay, how you're going to do that, right, the, the knowledge that you have that you want to impart. From the delivery and, and how how smoothly right or not smoothly it it can go, these things you know should be separated because one thing is something you've already learned and is is you just want to relay um, some insight to others who might be struggling you know with the same thing um, to sort of help them out in that way. But the other part is a completely different set of skills. It is it is a it is a public speaking skill that is a completely different art. I mean, some people take years and years and years to master it. And to your point. Some people, it just comes very, very naturally, right? But you have to detach those things. One, your, your inability to deliver a great talk, right, should not be coupled with what you know, right? You can't you can't tie those things together in that way.
2: Yeah, I wanted to touch on that point. And before that, we never really defined what imposter syndrome is. And I wanted to read the entry on Wikipedia. So, it says here is a concept describing high achieving individuals who are marked by an inability to internalize their accomplishments and a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. So, to Johnny's point, if you are going to speak at a conference and you don't have a ton of experience, and another thing too is that some people are not amazing speakers. But they are fine going up on the stage and doing their best. And they're not going to put in the time to become great speakers, but they don't have it in them. But they speak well enough and they do, they're fine. I think I, I'm more. I, I'm a little bit like that. After I spoke a couple of times, like, OK, I can do this, no big deal. But I'm not a great speaker. And, you know, it takes time and, and experience and you have to practice.
1: It's a skill like anything else. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and some people practice a lot, and they are terrible. In, in but some people just haven't had the experience and the chance of exposure. And I really wouldn't want these people to label themselves as having imposter syndrome. All that there is happening is that you just haven't been exposed to the experience yet, and that's very natural and normal and healthy for you to have that little bit of struggle and you know b- take baby steps to uh, meet up talk and then graduate to conference talk. It's not imposter syndrome if you feel nervous about going to speak at a conference.
0: This is a a nice tie-in into sort of the whole meetup and sort of leveling up to like a full conference with a larger audience. Um, Those baby steps that you're talking about, you can take them within the context of a smaller audience, right? Your meetup, your local meetup group is a perfect place to do that, right? Because it's a much smaller audience. Chances are you already know a lot of these people. You know, you you go to the same meetup every month. Uh, The comfort level there is going to be much higher. And and that's like your training ground, right? To be able to deliver a talk and make mistakes and and get constructive feedback. And learn from those experiences, and then sort of build up to the to the point where you can actually submit, you know, like a like a proposal to, to something like go for Where you're gonna have fifteen hundred people sort of looking at you. So it, it's you, it's you can't you're not gonna go zero to hundred and expect to have sort of you know the best result possible. You know it, that may happen, but for, to those that it happens to that those are outliers, right? For the vast majority of people I know who do an excellent job of delivering a talk, they practice their hearts out. I mean, they put in time and time and time again. I mean, you know, Bill's on the on the call and. and you know, he likes to say he's an imposter, but I've seen Bill deliver, you know, several, several talks and, and he is masterful at it. I mean, he walks the room, he works the room and that stuff doesn't come just naturally. I know he practices, right? So, so this, this stuff is not going to come easily. And but there are ways to sort of level up to that. And you are going to find there are people within the community who are willing to also help you with that.
1: And lightning talks, lightning talks are another way to do it. Um, and some people don't realize the the level of the time that goes into creating a talk. How many months sometimes, um some of these talks that that we see. yeah, like you said, most most people don't just just turn it on. there's There's a lot that goes into kind of doing that and that dipping your toes and <laughs> the the zero to one hundred thing. there's 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 some people, especially a uh, unnamed member of this show, Brian. <laughs> who pushed hard for me to speak at a conference with 1500 people for the first time I spoke in front of people. But the reality of that though, is too, that I did have some dipping my toes too through, you know, organizing GoForCon, having to get up and at least do intros and things like that. And this show basically last year for 2016, I set a goal that, you know, I wasn't going to kind of hide behind the curtains out of fear anymore that I was going to start doing things to, uh, start putting myself out there and the show was actually uh one of the things i forced myself to do because it's consistent putting yourself out there so i think that that kind of warmed me up to it but so the interesting thing is is like we look at like say like bill speaking or things like that um but here's kind of like a fun thing to think about right like bill and i and brian all worked on a book together so this is kind of fun because Bill will commonly make comments to people, especially in like the GoTime channel about things I could teach people. But like, I constantly look back at some of the stuff Bill's doing in training and think like Bill knows way more than me. So it, it, it's circular, right? Like we're constantly all looking at each other, thinking that everybody is smarter than us, right?
3: Yeah, but dude, I went through, I think half of the month of November and December, I went through this period in my head that I didn't know enough to be teaching because of all of the new stuff that's going on around, just like Docker, Kubernetes, all the new improvements. And I sat there, I literally had to get myself out of this funk that I have to stop teaching because I don't know enough. And it's, for me, I don't have the problem delivering the message, I'm lucky that way. But I'm constantly questioning the message and my thoughts my ideas and my philosophies and are, and are they good enough? Are they right? And I always feel like I'm on the opposite side of everybody else. But I think what causes me to feel like I'm an imposter is my thoughts, my ideas, my philosophies. Maybe they're not good enough and I shouldn't even be saying these things to people. I think
0: there's there's a healthy balance, you know, I think sort of, you know, in my career, I've sort of seen myself sort of evolve in, in, in a way that, you know, I, I know what I don't know. Um, and I know what I can speak confidently about. and and, and when it, when I'm not confident about something, I'm willing to say, well, I don't know enough about this, right? So it, it's it's being able to sort of, you know to have that sort of retrospect, like looking at yourself and saying, well, here's what I, I'm confident about, right? Here's what I don't know and I need to sort of you know beef up on. and and the the people who work the hardest, right, at sort of understanding where, they sort of uh, what their gaps are, what they what they need to work on, what they need to study. The, those are the people who are continuously improving themselves. Those are the people I want to model myself after, right? Because you know, the, there's the thing about you know, oh, it's gonna come naturally. Again, those are outliers, right? The vast majority of people who are really good at something, they work at it. And being able to identify that, right? You have to sort of be very careful that you're so not sort of drawing yourself in imposter syndrome in that sense, but really sort of get the benefit, the good out of that sort of fear, right? To say, hey. I know what I don't know. I need to work on that.
1: The interesting thing, though, too, is there's kind of two additional factors with are kind of putting yourself out there to teach somebody something, whether that's training or, or giving a talk or writing a blog post. At the end of the day, you're trying to take knowledge you have and educate people. So there's two sides of this. Right. One could argue that maybe there is somebody who knows this topic better than you, but are they also willing to put in the time to produce the content? And that may not be true, which means that you do a disservice to the people who don't share at least the level of understanding that you do by not sharing because the person you you fear is smarter than you isn't going to produce that content anyway. And secondly, mentoring people is a great way to learn yourself because you you're you do not want to teach somebody incorrectly, therefore you're going to be more careful and make sure that you fully understand the things that you're about to tell somebody. So I can tell you. You know that, like going into the book and coming out of the book, I know way more now about Go than I did before we started on the book because when you sit down and you you start working on that, you're like, wait, you start questioning your own assumptions about things.
0: It all sounds like work to me. I mean, if you're willing to put in the work to get better at something, on uh, whether it's a talk right, or giving talks or whether it's writing a book, it all comes down to work. And having you know once you've done the work, right, being able to tell yourself, okay, I, I am prepared. I've done the work, right? I can have confidence in that. Now, the rest may not be up to me, right? How people see me, that's, that's outside of my control. But I'm going to do the best I can. And I know what I'm talking about. And the rest, you just leave it, leave it be. It is you're going to be what it is going to be. But after you've done what you need to do, you can just be confident and be, you know, reassure yourself of that.
3: Well, Florin made a really good point that I want to bring up. And every once in a while, you got to have somebody validate what you're doing even if it's months later, right? Because without some level of validation, at least, at least I know for myself every once in a while that that's the pickup that I need. That somebody says thank you, or 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 you understand where I'm going there. So validation, I think, becomes important, or at least for me, it could completely just shut down.
1: But I think that so I think that getting validation is good and, and it helps gauge you, but I think it can become toxic too, right? because then you're constantly seeking validation to be proud of your own accomplishments. And that's not good either. You're you're never gonna be happy, and and people see that, right? Like, it, it happens all the time, um, you know, at conferences and stuff like that. You know, speakers will have people come up, and, and it's like, they'll, they'll kind of like hang on every word and things like that, like looking for the speaker to be like, yeah, that's awesome, you're doing good work. So it becomes hard because if you're not excited and proud of your own work, it shows in your delivery, right? You're gonna kind of hang waiting kind of to, to, to get that feedback, whether you're watching the audience or not. And it's gonna show you're not gonna deliver the powerful thing. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, Bill, when you get up and talk, right? Like everybody, you have this way of talking, right? And that's because you just turn off your mind. You just get up there and you just, you know, deliver. And you don't really think about what everybody's thinking at that moment you go home and then think about it.
3: <laughs> I do, but you also want to at least, I, okay, from a, maybe a teaching and, and I'm going to give a talk and a meetup. I want somebody to feel like they got something out of it, that there was value in the last 20 or 30 minutes of you spending time and me being there, right? And, and teaching you these things. And I'm not teaching you incorrectly. I'm giving you something that's going to be positive. And you absolutely shouldn't be looking for the validation, but... I know for me, every once in a while, it's nice to get it because I think it helps me remember why I'm doing a lot of what I'm doing and uh, it helps me to, to move forward.
1: So I want to kind of uh, talk a little bit about, I think, the sources of imposter syndrome a little bit. But I think before we do that, uh, let's take a quick sponsor break.
4: When it comes to profiling and monitoring the performance of your Go applications, Stack Impact is a great service to help you and your team laser focus on hotspot profiling, bottleneck tracing, health monitoring, and more. Stack Impact gives you the necessary historical deep dive performance visibility into your Go application's execution so you can discover and resolve performance bottlenecks with line of code precision. Technically, Stack Impact makes Go's built-in profiling capabilities usable in a production environment. Stack Impact does everything automatically. There's no need to run commands or waste time specifying what to monitor they've even put their go agent on github under the bsd license so if you need to focus on the performance of your go applications check out stack impact head over to stackimpact.com go time to learn more and tell them brian from GoTime sent you
1: Okay, so we are back. We're talking about uh, imposter syndrome. So before the break, we kind of were leading into um, kind of validation and things like that. And I I know I wanted to talk about some of the causes and led into it a little bit with the whole, you know, our perception of other people being kind of a primary cause. But I think another one too is that um, we're becoming increasingly more a generation of developers who had past lives and kind of came into uh engineering by one means or another which means there's a lot of autodidacts like people who who are self-taught myself included and i think that that can also play a huge role in it too because you feel like because you don't have that comp sci degree that you're constantly looking for a way to prove that you share the same knowledge and skill set as these people surrounded by you that you know, have master's degrees in computer science and things does anybody kind of feel the the, the same way
0: like i constantly feel like when i'm sort of in the company of said people who do have sort of those uh, advanced level of knowledge that at the moment they start talking about sort of highly technical stuff and start talking about you know how do you optimize this and start throwing terms around that i've never heard before that i come that i don't come in contact with you know day-to-day and what I do for a living, then I'm like, automatically, I'm like, oh man, like I'm, I'm out of my depth here. How, how am I, if they turn to me, right, to ask something, how am I going to answer and I start to sort of panic a little bit and I have to catch myself, I have to seize myself and not let that sort of, you know, drag me down because nine out of 10 times, there will be something you can contribute. There will be an experience that you've had, right, that can impact the way the, the way that conversation unfolds, right? You should never sort of discount your own experiences. If you don't know what a term means, heck, I go back, you know, to, to, to my desk and I Google it. Right? I'm like, okay, that's one thing I didn't know now. So you see these things as opportunities for learning from others who are a bit more advanced in their careers than you are, but never discount your own experiences. Those things are valuable because th- those experiences are different from theirs. Therefore, you have different context, different knowledge, different things you can bring to bear in that conversation.
1: If you know the answer, it's easy. If if you don't, it's impossible, right?
3: <laughs> exactly. But different people work on different things, and and Damien Grisky really helped me with this because, I mean, Damien is amazing, right? Like he knows algorithms, he knows a ton of things, and there are times when I sit back and I go, God, I wish I knew half of what of what he knew. And one time he, he literally helped me through it and just said, Bill, this is what I work on. This is what you know what I do. This is not what you're doing. You shouldn't expect yourself to be you know, knowing and doing these things. Yeah. And that really helped me kind of put in perspective what I know and and where I'm at, depending on where he is and where he's at.
1: I've seen some stuff by him where it's like, that's it. I quit. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to make a quick point too about that. It's like, I've, I've had the, the opportunity to speak with some people from the go team and stuff too, that work on compiler stuff and everything. And we're kind of talking a similar conversation and it's like, they, We see it as like, oh, my God, like I could never work on a compiler. Like, that's just crazy. Like, only ridiculously smart people do that. But, you know, similar similar response where it's like they've spent their entire careers working on compilers. Like to them, it's just natural evolution. Right. So it's kind of that perception. We put it there. So the other question kind of leading back to the whole like autodidact thing. does anybody here have a formal CS degree? I have an undergraduate degree. You have a graduate degree. And what about you, Carlisa? Same.
2: My CS degree is a graduate degree.
1: So I'd like to hear the other side of it, because this is kind of interesting. As somebody holding a degree, do you get similar feelings of insecurity when you're around somebody that appears to be, at least from an outside perspective, to have more knowledge than you that did not go that route?
2: I don't even have to be necessarily around somebody like that. Just being around myself. <laughs> 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 you know, because time goes by. Literally, some, every once in a while, my confidence goes down to a level. and This happens once in a while. No, it, it's not all the time. But once in a while, my confidence just dips. And I have to go on LinkedIn and look at everything that I've done. Because I sort of forget. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a CS degree it's a graduate, it's a master's degree. That's amazing. And then I pop myself up, you know, like, wow, I've done this project and that project. And then I pop myself out. And like, I have to go and look at my resume multiple <laughs> times a day for a few days to bring my confidence. <laughs> Has anybody done that?
1: Look at your resume?
2: Yeah. To, to pump yourself up.
1: You're just like, I, I wish I could be that person. If I was just as smart as that person, I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure.
2: <laughs> exactly. I, I've done. I've done stuff. I'm not a failure. I can. I can do things like this.
1: I don't know. I think to me, like, like, especially like when we're talking about the validation. Like, I feel like sometimes getting the validation makes me feel worse. Like, I. I feel like almost like the whole imposter side of it. It's like, ah, oh, crap. Like, it's going to be worse when it's discovered I'm not as smart as that. You know, and but. Speaking to the whole like re- constantly reminding yourself aspect, though, is like, I'll constantly fight stupid issues, like with just environment issues on my own d- development workstation. I'll be like, why am I a programmer? Why did anybody give me a job doing? <laughs> it's just funny.
3: I only have an undergraduate degree, but when I meet people that have like PhDs um, almost in any field, I I just respect that so much. I know how much work goes into it. And that can be intimidating for me. But I feel like the undergraduate degree I have, which I got almost 30 years ago, isn't even relevant to what I'm doing today.
0: But it certainly helped, though, right? You have to admit it provides a foundation.
3: I think it I think what it helped is not the tech that I worked on 30 years ago, but the problem solving mm-hmm. aspects of it right. more than anything else.
2: That aspect is very relative, because for me, it helped tremendously. I had to go to school and get that degree to to be able to be a programmer. Because, I mean, I'm a woman. I wasn't into gaming. Like I said before, I got into gaming and got out quickly because I, I, I could be addicted to it. And none of my friends were programmers. I didn't have that environment. I wanted to program, but... I didn't have a place to go and do it. Now, some people have friends or they are on RSC or whatever. They, they found their niche and they get it from that environment. So, you know, I think it is good to have a degree in general because it, it, like when you go to school, it teaches you how to learn more than anything. And it also teaches you to handle a lot of demands in a tight timeline because you have to deliver stuff you have in, in writing you have to write a lot so I don't know
1: see that that's kind of where I go with it too because I constantly go back to the should I should I go back to school thing even if it's not for comp sign everybody's like well why would you do that you know you've, you've got a pretty good career going for you now you, you know you wouldn't make any more money or anything and it it really comes down to that like outside of what your major is, it rounds you out. When you're in a room with a bunch of people who have formal educations, so they're going to discuss literature and things like that. When you want to write blog posts or books or things like that, like you you learn to write well, you learn to speak well, you get a, you get a vocabulary. So there's a lot more to be gained from college than just your major. And uh, Marcus kind of brought it up here in the the Slack channel too. like a lot of the stuff with like algebra and physics and things I've lasted most of my career without more advanced math knowledge and stuff. But now I'm getting into like you want to change, you want to do new things. And now the things I'm excited by, like I need that math knowledge that I don't have because I never went. So you know, you kind of get, you get trapped in these things, but there's, there's also the other side, like interviews, right? Like big O notation, like that's asked so much, right? So
0: <laughs> there's there's one sort of dimension I'd like to sort of throw in there, if I may. Um, and that, you know, for for a lot of us, and I think Carlecia touched on this a little bit for a lot of us, uh, a degree helps to sort of legitimize our knowledge. Right. So, you know, you know, as Carlecia says, you know, being a woman, having that degree helps in a way because it, it helps her sort of stand out. Or, you know, in the, in the eyes of those who believe that, oh, without a degree, she wouldn't be as, as good, you know, as, as what she's doing. Right. She had to go to go to school to get that knowledge. Otherwise, she wouldn't be as good, which, which sort of flies in the face of those who actually teach themselves. Right. They, you know, they know how to learn, you know, in that way. We don't all learn the same way. Right. So some people need the structure of, of school right, to, to sort of get through something. And that's not wrong. That's just the way they learn. We don't all we're not all the same. You know, and speaking as a black man, you know, like I know that like I didn't need a degree. You know, actually, I got my degree way late into later into my career. But I noticed certain things, certain subtleties. Right. Until I got that that computer science degree, like it's almost like, you know, it wasn't I wasn't legitimate. Right. In in the eyes of some. Right. I sort of needed to do that. So for some of us, it's, it's not just a matter of getting it to help us sort of, you know, with problem solving and sort of, you know, getting some fundamentals, you know, under our belt. It's it's a me, it's a social sort of you know, barrier that we must cross to sort of put, you know, make ourselves or so we'll legitimize ourselves in the eyes of some.
2: That's a very good point that Johnny brought up. I actually wasn't even thinking about that when I when I mentioned that. You know, for me as a woman, was good to get to go and get a degree. Uh, what I had in mind was where where else would I learn it? My friends weren't doing it. They you know they weren't even interested in computers. I didn't have that environment ne- around me, so for me to get that, I'd need to go somewhere official, quote unquote. But now that you said that, I want to add to it. I, I just want to add um, pretty much say the same thing you said. If I didn't have a degree and if I had learned on my own, it would be ten times harder for me to one get a job programming and two get a good job programming. I remember, Three years ago, I was interviewing two, three years ago, I was interviewed with a company that they pinged me. I thought they were interesting. So I went and talked to them and one of the programmers there, he he looked at my resume. He looked at me and he said, why are you interested in programming? <laughs> so at this point, I've been programming for 10 years. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> it, out of all questions you could ask me, you ask me this. <laughs> so if... For people out there who ever interview me, don't ask me this question, please. <laughs> I mean, seriously, oh. I'm I'm going for an interview uh, for a programming interview. I have been programming, you know, like it's one thing. Like, why do you like programming? You want to get into it, but you got into it. You stayed for you stayed all doing it for years. You could get out, right? But I, no, that's what I'm still going for. Is because I like it. Like. <laughs> I have to prove to some to, to some interviewers that, yeah, I do like doing this. And I really do. But the, the point is, the degree really helps people look at my resume and say, okay, she really is into programming. Because pe- people want to hire people who like what they do, right? So it's a, it's a big deal.
1: It's actually interesting that, you know, in, in the era that we're in now, it still carries a lot of weight in, um, job descriptions and, and hiring. You know, I, I spent five years or so as a senior engineer, um, at, at Disney working on, you know, really high profile stuff. And it was like one of the managers who became my manager partway in, you know, it was funny, you know, we had like a one-on-one and during one of the interviews, he's like, you got to be one of the best. He called me a kid then. I was in my 20s. So he's like, you got to be one of the best kids on my team. He's like, and I'm." he's like, if I had been interviewed you, I wouldn't have hired you. No degree in the trash can. And it's crazy, you know, that we're, we're still in this time where, you know, so many people are self-taught and, it, and it, it does carry weight. But I think it also carries weight for us internally, too, because you use it as your own internal gauge, right? Like, when do I know enough? when do I feel qualified? Right? Like if you're self-taught, you, you don't have that gauge, you know, but nobody gave you a certificate and was like, yep, you know, everything you're supposed to know, you know?
3: So out of all of the talks that I have right now scheduled for this year, the one that is freaking me out is the one that I, I got invited back to my college to give a couple of talks to the students and the faculty. <laughs> that one is freaking me out, freaking me out. You have to inspire Bill. <laughs> I know, but I really don't feel like I should be standing up in front of the faculty telling them anything, right? And I think it ties back into the fact that they're PhDs, faculty, they're, they're, I don't know. I know it sounds crazy, but imposter syndrome times a thousand
1: right there. It's real. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though, because it, when you go to a talk, let's play the other role of it, right? When you go to a conference and you attend a talk, are you looking for that entire talk to be nothing but new information that you did not know? Right. Or does it have value if you just, you walk away learning one new trick or, or something that you didn't know already. Right. I'm I'm willing to bet for most of us, it's the latter. There are some people who, you know, are, have much more stricter scales, but for the most part, we just want to learn something. And I've, it's probably unlikely that you're going to get up in front of people and everybody in the room is going to know everything that you're about to say to them. Right?
2: So let me say this when I want to learn a subject or learn a subject better, I get two, three books at least because I want to have different takes on a subject. So if I'm listening to a conference talk and that conference talk has material that was talked about in another conference, I still get a lot from it. It doesn't have to be every time has to be all brilliant, brand new, shiny material. I want what I want the most is that person's take on the material.
1: And uh, Judd White and GoTime FM channel brought up a, a good point too. You know, he said that he thinks the audience is often a lot more forgiving than you think. And I think I would go out on a limb here and say that they're always more forgiving than you think that, you know, we like, We like to to put in our head that somehow our lives are going to come to an end as we know it. (laughs) If, if we mess up a line on stage or, or our live demo doesn't work or things like that, but everybody, and we we talked to the speakers and stuff too, at, at GopherCon. you know, we thought it was like, everybody here wants to see you do well, there's nobody in the audience hoping you fail, you know? And even so, even if you mess up, most people don't even notice. You know, they're, they're too busy in their own minds and worlds and stuff. And if they're that engaged in your talk, then they don't care about the the little thing you messed up. And, and I think that's the great aspect of it is just to consider it in that terms. Like, even if you did extremely bad, it's not going to affect your career in life. It's not over. It, you know, the next day, nobody even remembers, right? Like, everybody's leaving the conference and things like that or the meeting excited about something. Right. Nobody's nobody's leaving all pumped up like, oh, my God, you know what happened.
0: Right. (laughs) Like for for me, like uh, when I when I look back at some of the most inspiring talks I've seen at conferences, I don't remember the highly technical ones. Like there might be one or two, you know, that might've basically, you know, opened my eyes to a whole new different way of doing things. But, you know, it's nothing that I couldn't have found out of eventually, you know, learned about, you know, with with, with some Googling or, or with, you know, by, by reading a book, there was nothing earth shattering. The, the, the ones I remember the most, have, I've had the most impact on my career professionally are the ones where the person is telling me a story, right? To so, harken back to to what Kalisa is saying, what is their take on it, right? Tell me something. Walk me through a journey, right? And and in the 20 or 30 minutes that you have on stage, walk me through something, right? Give me a perspective that 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 I perhaps have not had, right? That that more than likely I would have not had because you know I'm not in your I don't have your context. I'm not in your situation. So you're gonna you're gonna bring something to me, you know, with that story, right? Learn to, to learn to tell stories. If if you get anything from from this whole podcast you know, as far as I'm concerned, is if you learn to tell stories, you find your voice in there because then it becomes yours. You own it, right? You're telling your story, right? Not just re- regurgitating a bunch of technical facts, but you really like trying, trying to make somebody feel like they were there with you, like present with you. Paint me a picture. Walk me through a journey with you. That's way more important to me than just, you know, give me a bunch of technical facts.
1: Yeah. Share your passion with the world. I mean, it's it's like a a, a smile. It's, it's infectious, right? So some of my favorite parts about going to conferences aren't the learning. You know, like like you said, it's kind of the the. you can watch that video later. There'll be a blog post, right? Like going to the conference for me is about like the exhilaration, right? Like everybody around you is just so pumped about this technology. And like you, you go home just kind of like invigorated and just ready to code and work on your passion project or some cool thing at work you were struggling with. like. You, you come you come out of it with like a, a fresh mind. And like, that's what I love the most about it. So anybody who can kind of engage and in, in tell a story and, and share their passion with me, like I can connect with that. Mm-hmm. So it is time for our second sponsor break. Software teams use Backtrace
4: to take the headache and guesswork out of debugging across their environments. Backtrace jumps into action when your Go application fails by capturing detailed application state information, including the complete set of Go routines, channels and their wait durations, and my favorite, scheduler information. Backtrace analyzes this state and archives it in a centralized object store, allowing you to explore interesting patterns across your errors and plug rich error data into your resolution workflows. Backtrace is used by companies like Fastly, which is Changelog's bandwidth partner, Limelight Networks, Message Systems, AppNexus, and more. Head to backtrace.io slash go time to learn more and start your free trial.
1: So we are back. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about uh, giving presentations and kind of engaging the crowd and uh, sharing your passion. And Bill, you were about to say something.
3: Yeah, I think... I would like to see more conferences get rid of the Q&A after a talk. I think if I've mm. ever had a bad experience, it's during the Q&A. And that's when that gives somebody an opportunity to just not be everything we just talked about, right? About you being up there and <laughs> oh, Q, oh, questions kill me, man. And I can't think fast enough sometimes when a question's coming at me. I got to think of the question, what they're trying to ask me, give an answer. My hearing isn't that great either. So when I'm on st- on a bigger stage, it's it's panic time. It's almost impossible, and I think that can lead sometimes to me also feeling like an imposter because I can't answer the question.
1: So uh, Matt just said, you know, he'd be in favor of not having questions. So we actually have no questions at GoForCon this year at all. So uh, before we kind of did like a pre, we did panels last year, but we've been slowly cutting them out. We were trying to find a way to to make it work because i think people want to try to ask questions but kind of to bill's point but it tends to be uh speakers primary fear interestingly enough because they feel like they can rehearse the talk enough right they they could write it down word for word and just rehearse right but those questions like it it catches you off guard you don't know and uh i remember when um adam and Jared from the ChangeLog first interviewed Brian and I for the ChangeLog about go for con 2015. Like I remember being paranoid for like a week beforehand because I didn't know what they were going to ask. You know, it's like nobody likes to feel like they're unprepared, especially in those situations being in front of so many people, you want to feel prepared.
3: I had somebody, this is how bad it can be. I had somebody just recently in a meetup during a Q and a session, um, say something to me and they said it with like, some anger to them right and again I can't hear and I couldn't process it fast enough and I hate drama so I just backed off and assumed he was right and tried to change but for two days after that when I had moments of thought in my head I kept trying to relive that moment to figure out did I say something wrong was he right whatever and took me a couple of days and now I'm over it but it even goes; be- it can extend beyond even just that moment. It can linger a couple of days while you're trying to figure it out.
1: And there's um, there's this weird atmosphere, though, too, because there's a couple of conditions that happen too. Even outside, like somebody stumping uh, the speaker, like and just kind of throwing them off their game. You have people who um, aren't courteous to others on the mic; they just want to talk mm. and just tell a story about like their own project seeking validation from the speaker and it's kind of monopolizing the mic and there's no real question there's no real value for anybody else except the speaker being like yeah that's cool you know <laughs> um so so there's like situations like that, that that can happen so all in all the the q a thing just it gets it gets difficult to do you know and then you have other people sometimes who because of their own insecurities need to try to stump the speaker So they can basically live vicariously, right? Like, okay, I don't need to speak publicly because Bill Kennedy spoke and I'm smarter than him. So, you know, therefore I could speak if I wanted to, right? Like these are just kind of types of personalities and stuff. So there's, there's just a lot of weird things that can happen with the Q and A and it's just easier not, not to do it and to let people catch them in the hallway. And, um, Somebody I missed it. Somebody was saying something that they found it hard to address or to go to speakers in the hallway. I think people should re question or should question that assumption because even though I've always had a problem getting up on stage or putting myself publicly, I've I've always seen other people as people. So like I'll walk up to speakers and talk to them. I think you should. I think uh, their topic, they're excited about it. They want to talk with other people. And kind of like to Bill's point, like he wants that validation. He wants people to come up and tell him like, oh, that was awesome. Like, I love this and, you know, ask questions about this. But that's more of a one on one rather than being put on the spot in front of, you know, a bunch of people.
0: That, that is that is way easier said than done, though, Eric, you have to admit, because, you know, it, it, while it might come easy for you, I know I've been in situations where I'm like, you know, oh, man, like, you know, this is so and so, you know, like, you know, you, you're you're because they're you're idolizing them in some way, right? Because they're doing the things that you want to do at that level. And you're like, you know, it's like, you know, seeing seeing a Hollywood superstar that you really admire or something like you you're almost like, wow, should I should I even go approach them and talk to them? You're scared. It really puts like fear into you. Like, how do you deal with that?
1: So, yeah, so a little bit of that is that you you have to you have to take it out of your head. Like you're you're measuring them based on your perception of them. Right. And it, uh-huh. and it's uh, like I went to a MySQL conference one time where the lead MySQL uh, database engineer there was sitting by himself at the bar. Nobody would go up and talk to him. And it's just like, really? Like, you know, in. In. Don't start out on technical stuff. Just at, start talking about dumb stuff. Like in, in that scenario, I walked up and I just started talking to him about like, it'd, it'd be interesting to know how many hard drive failures they have just in a day, like at that scale. Right. And that's just kind of how that the, the conversation started off. You know, like just people like to do it. You know, I've been to Ruby conferences and talked to speakers about sports and, and things like that. They're people, you know, just we everybody's just people and it's unfair to pedestal people like that because even even ourselves we all have insecurities right so mm-hmm. you only exacerbate the problem for both you and them right like now they're sitting there alone and they're like wow did I really do that bad <laughs> like nobody wants to talk to me about you, you know what I mean
0: I mean, if I, I know I personally make it a point to when I go to conferences. You know, I try to sort of you know uh, make uh, form relationships with people, and and the best way I find to do that is to try and get personal a little bit, and not about you know the talk they just gave or some deep technical concept whatnot. And often, you know, that you know because you know we are you might be part of the same industry, you know, it, it'll naturally come up, but it's not forced, right? So it's more about sort of you know, like you're saying, they're people, right? They they're humans. They have a life outside of this conference outside of this talk they just gave right so if you really are interested in sort of getting to know people you'll find that you develop you know friendships and relationships much more easily by talking about something other than the highly technical
1: stuff you just went through you disarm them a little bit you know like they're probably there insecure about their own talk and all this and it, it allows you to help them bring their own anxiety down by just talking about things that are just real things that don't have to make them think about like, am I about to answer this question correctly?
0: You know? Exactly, exactly.
1: So, and how about you, Carlicia? Do you, are are you able to just kind of walk up to people or do you have the same reservations or?
2: I guess it depends. I'm pretty good at walking up to people and, and just talking to people, whoever. But for example, I was at GopherCon UK and I wanted to talk to Peter Bourgon and he always had people around him. So I'm like, I can't, I don't have anything interesting to say to him. I'm sure those people have more interesting things to talk to him about, so I never got up to, to I never got to talk to him. Uh, so it, it depends, I guess. If, if he was alone, actually, no, he was alone one time, and I still do. <laughs> it depends. I mean, <laughs> which is silly, because I talk to him, and it's like, everyone's no I on me. I'm
1: sorry, Peter, because I'm about to get you swarmed, but uh, if anybody, like, wants to meet peter and has not and is is kind of like fearful there he is one of the most down to earth people i've ever i've ever met like just a, just a really nice guy like really interested in hearing what other people are working on and just like yeah so yeah if you see him at GopherCon this year you should you should definitely walk up and talk to him because just ridiculously nice guy and smart too so he'll make you feel good about yourself and dumb at the same time
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's skill hey, right I, there. I got, a, I got a question for the group, Eric. Sure. I think there are at least 20 people if not more listening to this podcast who probably would love to give a talk but uh, are hesitating either because of of this fear or they don't feel like they have a topic or several things. So what do we tell these people to give them the confidence to try to put a proposal together? to be part of, if not just GopherCon this year, but all the other conferences that will happen throughout the year.
2: I have something to say. (laughs) Giving a a talk, any talk, if you haven't given any talk, is terrifying. Now, I don't know how how it will be for other people, but I would share my experience. The first time I ever gave a talk, I think it was at an internship I was doing. Every intern needed to give a presentation at the end of the internship. And it was absolutely terrifying because there were PhDs and my boss and my co-workers who were real developers. <laughs> and I'm just an intern. What do I know? And I had to give a presentation about the project I worked on. I was so nervous. I had to do it. I would have backed out, but I had to do it. It was part of the deal. It was nerve-wracking. The second time I gave a talk, I don't remember, it, it really wasn't... It was like a third nerve-wracking. So it's not going to be nerve-wracking every single time. The first time is going to be terrifying. And then it's going to be to get a ton better. Or maybe not. But the point is, you need to do it. So if you want to do give talks, not everybody needs to do it. It's not uh, mandatory that you do it. But if you want to, find a meet-up. Like we, always, like we always say in this, find a meet-up. Uh, give the talk, or just find a few friends and get them all hang out and give the talk to them. Because the first time, it really, truly is going to be terrifying. Truly, it is. Now it gets a thumb better. <laughs> That's my what I have to share.
0: It, it is a skill, just like any other, and you get better at it by doing more of it. So um, to 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 use, a, a, I'm sure now, cliche term, lean into it.
2: You get better, but my point is. Like, I, I gave a couple talks last year. I gave a, a two lightning talks. I go for con. One I go for con and one at the opening party. And then I gave a, a keynote talk on at Golang UK. And I'm not super good, but I wasn't terrified because I had given some talks before. So, yes, I'm going to get better the more talks I give. But I'm talking about the terrifying scale. Because the ter- when you're terrified, you get paralyzed. So you you have to get over that, the point where you're not paralyzed anymore, because then you can focus on getting better.
1: Yeah, I think that um, like my my thoughts and experiences mirror that too. I I had minimal speaking experience. I had done a a couple meetups, you know, things like that. I, I, I had done some training, you know, small groups, 20 people, something like that. I had done, I don't know how many episodes of this podcast by that point. Uh, you know kind of house notes and intros and stuff like that for a couple of gopher cons but i was outright terrified and the only reason i did it was because i convinced myself last year that i was going to that i i was going to submit and you know and talking with everybody you know um kubernetes is a related group but not directly my people so i submitted to that conference because it was also a project I was really, really excited about and passionate about. But the whole process, I was terrified. It took everybody a while to convince me to actually submit. And then it got accepted. And it was like, oh, crap. Like, I wish it wouldn't have got accepted. I could have just felt better that I submitted. Right. (laughs) Like, check. At least I submitted, you know. And yeah, the whole process for the for the months beforehand, it was it was terrifying. And even, you know, stepping out on stage, terrifying. Even afterwards, you know, uh, that link that Adam posted in the, the channel for the Linux or whatever that mentions the talk like I saw that this morning and I was like, oh, crap, like I just want want the video to disappear into the ether. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing exciting about the process. Like, I don't know whether anybody's just like, oh, yeah, here we go. You know, I, I think especially for your first couple times, it's it's going to be it's going to feel terrifying and you step out of your. Your comfort zone a little bit, and it's it's rewarding too
0: well here here's a you know I'd like to make a proposal since you know um, i have I have the mic, I have the platform here I, I think you know uh, this would be a good opportunity to sort of you know um, basically try to help right your fellow community members if you are a meetup organizer, I would recommend that you put together a safe space, an environment where those who are sort of willing to step up, right? Those who haven't given a talk before or who are still trying to get over that fear of giving a talk, maybe it's the first one, or maybe maybe if they're, it's their 15th one, doesn't matter. If they if they are willing to step up, right, create a safe space whereby everybody already knows that, hey, we are here to practice our, our delivery. We are here to practice how we give talks and allow everybody to feel free uh, to sort of um, give constructive criticism, you know, this is what you did well. You know, this is what you know you didn't do so well. You, you had too many ums, too many pauses, right? You create a safe space whereby you have a technical topic that you're talking about. You're still talking about, you know, go whatever your you, your topic of just happens to be for that particular meetup. But you're creating an environment where you know in 10 or 15 minutes of a lightning talk or a longer talk, you allow for that constructive feedback, right, to to sort of happen, and it's safe, and you know that you're not being judged. Uh, on, on how how well you know the material, whether you know it or not, you're being judged on on your delivery, and you get to work on that together. So i would challenge you know a, a meetup organizers to sort of you know like in an upcoming meetup, like create a meeting that's all about you know everybody sort of getting better at at giving a talk, and I think you know we'll we'll all sort of get better for
1: it. I think challenge the community too. There's a number of people in the community that do help everybody with their proposals and their talks. Um, I had, I was fortunate enough to have a number of people, um, help review my talk many times throughout its, its, its development and to Bill Kennedy and, and Brian Kettleson a couple of times, like, you know, over, over just hangouts, you know, doing little runs of it and stuff like that. Like people want to help. So reach out like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing a talk, like, and I'm sure that you will get lots of volunteers of people who will help review it or or listen to you and give feedback and stuff and and on top of that too like i I challenge all organizers of conferences too to help um facilitate this like we want new blood right like there's a bunch of conference circuits where it's the same group of people talking they're just kind of moved from conference to conference um we want we want fresh blood so i i encourage conference organizers to get involved you know pair them with with people who have spoken prior years to help mentor and give advice. Um, that's some of the stuff we do. Another thing that we do, a lot of people don't know is if, if you ever see like uh, myself, Brian Kettleson and uh, Dave Cheney like leave a party early. Usually it's because we're going back to a hotel room and letting some of the speakers do dry runs of their talks in a hotel room. And we kind of give advice and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, I, I encourage people to do the same, like help support your speakers. Like, You want them to be successful because you want them to go on and speak at other conferences. So, like, let's help everybody grow together in that way.
2: Yeah, I want to plus one most of what I mean, everything that Eric said and focus on the part of getting somebody to review your talk is essential. Don't go without it if you're a beginner speaker. Uh, because there are multiple dimensions to speaking on stage. One is your preparation. The other one is your physical presence, your presentation, the, pre- the presentation of your person. So, But the preparation, you, there's a lot you can do. And having somebody watch your talk and give you feedback is going to make your talk better. Uh, and it's also going to frame it in your head in a way that you won't have it. You can go over it by yourself a million times. You won't get it as, as well as you will. If you have somebody giving you feedback and pointing things out, when so just the the act of getting that other person's presence and the feedback will help you frame it in your head. The talk and I, this is true for me, but I think it's true for for most people too.
1: And I think that like if it's your first talk, talk about something you're extremely passionate about because that that at the end of the day is is what people are going to take away like some of the best talks I've ever heard didn't teach me anything. They just got me thinking differently and, you know, were were very engaging. So you're going to do much better talking about something you're really excited about. You know, like Brian's case and stuff like working on uh little go bot stuff for the smoker, right? Like you get pumped about because you love barbecue, right? Like, so you want to just share that with the world and it becomes much easier. It doesn't become so challenging. Like, what am I going to say? Am I going to say this? Right. Because you're just sharing something you love with the world, right? So, and you can turn anything into a story. I had a hard time uh, looking at my own talk for the conference I spoke at back in November. Because it was kind of Kubernetes and this large scale thing. And there's a lot of technical details there. And it's like, well, how do you frame that? Like, how do you tell a story? Like, how do you how do you get people engaged in it? What if there's no new information? It's just using Kubernetes components. And I, I put a spin on it. So the first, I, I don't know what it was, five, 10 minutes of the talk, um, I, I taught people how cable television works. So it's like, at the very least, if you learn nothing new, you'll walk away at least knowing how the cable coming out of your wall works, right? Like, how does <laughs> how does video get there? And people actually like really, uh, really liked that. I got a number of people who came up to me afterwards that thought it was really cool, you know, and and kind of questioned like, how did I live so long and never actually like being a technologist? How did I live so long? Never questioning how that actually worked, you know? So I think that we, we can all frame things and, and bring in uh, interesting views and teach people stuff that they may not know. And, you know, people will walk away with something from the talk, but definitely share your love and passion whatever you do, because that's, you know, like the same thing here. Uh, uh, I think some of the best episodes on this show are when people kind of uh, bleed a little bit of themselves into the show, right? Like they let people in on a personal level, a little bit, you know, whether that's through humor, or just kind of deep, you know, sharing their feelings and stuff like that, like, that's the stuff people really cling to.
2: I agree. And, And just circling back to the topic of preparation, I think it was said by somebody here, there are so many people in the community who are totally willing to help. If you can't find somebody, ping somebody because uh, one of us or anybody, you will be led to somebody who can help you with uh, preparing or presenting a conference talk. And there's a lot of material on the internet too. And I wanted to mention that GoBridge has a repo with uh, guidelines for putting together a talk. And Bill Kennedy is very willing to help, and I'm saying this because uh, with his permission,
0: (laughs) he already announced that himself. So
3: you're you're in the clear. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
3: (laughs) we're yeah we're in the clear. Uh, To to the point that we have that document out in GoBridge that um, can really help you prepare for presentations. I'm really out there. I'm willing to work with everybody who who wants to give a talk, and even if your talk doesn't make GopherCon. There's so many other conferences out there that um, it, it's worth your time if you really want to give a talk. And even if you don't have a topic right now, but you're just like, you know, I want to give a talk, reach out to me and we'll, we'll find what that topic is and I'll help you prepare that talk and, and we'll submit it to GoForCon or anything else that's coming up. So if you have inside of you this desire to really try to give a talk, it's something you want to do, let me know.
0: And and for those of you listening, you should really take this to heart. This is from somebody who's given lots and lots of talk, is very experienced at this. So this is the stuff money can't buy. So definitely take advantage of it.
1: And I, I challenge everybody, like, let's make this is a new year, right? Everybody set yourself a goal. Do some public speaking. If, if you've always been afraid of it, do, do one thing this year. Pick one event, do a meetup, do an online meetup do a lightning talk. If, if you don't want to prepare like a 20 minute or 40 minute presentation, do a lightning talk, just share some sort of love, you know, T- tell me that like, you can't stand your dog waking you up in the morning. So you're building an, an Alexa plugin to tell Alexa to let the dog out, right? Like just share, just share something and get over that fear and realize that it's not what you put it in your head as like, it's not how you make it out to be the experience and get used to it. And, and start thinking, you know, like we have the whole imposter syndrome we were talking about kind of uh, earlier in the show, you know, like a lot of people and myself included, you know, you go to a conference and you start thinking like all these other people are amazing speakers and like, what are they going to think of me? And like, I'm not a good speaker. I've never spoken before. And the reality of it is none of them care. They are too focused on their own talk and delivering it well to to really like care about like. How much experience you have or how well you do on your talk right and let's start to let's start to accept that people are people like approach them treat them you know as as you would anybody else at a party you know that you don't know who this person is right like you you do yourself and them a disservice and let's let's start thinking that you know what we see of people is only what we see and that our perception may not be the reality right like if i post uh Pictures of some tinkering with hardware, or software-defined radio, and everybody's like, "Oh man, Eric knows that too." No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and software-defined radio, I know zero. Like, I'm I'm struggling, like, just figuring it out. You know, uh, you know, hardware, I I can tinker, I can build stuff at best. I am not an elect- electrical engineer, you know. So it's like, let, let's start to accept that maybe like we we've, we've built false perceptions of people, and we're you know holding them to a standard that maybe we shouldn't because it does it doesn't do them service and it doesn't do you service.
3: And I I think another thing too is if you are at a talk and you see a mistake that was made or something wasn't 100% accurate keep it to yourself and go to that speaker after and just ask them if they want that feedback. Some speakers don't want it and some people so it's 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 not so it's solicited at the end of the day. Um, Because we all want to improve. We want to know what mistakes we made. We might be giving that talk a couple of different times. We all want to be accurate in the things we're saying. But don't do it during Q&A. Try to do it privately and ask that speaker if they're interested in the feedback. Uh, And then it will be well received and it will be great because the next talk is just going to be better.
1: But you get bonus confidence points with the crowd when you point out what they said wrong, Right. That's, that's the way it works right no stop the speaker oh my god no. it doesn't just,
2: work like that just me on the same note <laughs> if you watch a conference talk on youtube remember to give it a thumbs up you know it's nice for the speaker when they go look at their video and that's you know, a bunch of thumbs up if you like it of course
1: that's true too i guess in the same spirit of the free software friday you know like let people know
2: yeah, I have to make a make it a point. I forget. I watch so many YouTube videos, and I forget, and I have to make a point to remember to give a thumbs up.
1: Oh, I have a so I have a bookmark open here, and I totally forgot to talk about it when we were talking about kind of like the the self taught and uh, autodidact thing. There's a book by a gentleman named uh, Rob Connery, and it is called The Imposters Handbook, which I, I haven't read the whole thing. Uh, I'll be honest there, I've, but I've read parts of it, and it's it's actually really cool. So it's like Coming from the perspective, like if you're self-taught and you don't have the formal CS degree and like you you feel inadequate, like when people talk big O notation or or lambdas or P versus NP and all that stuff, like that's kind of like this frame of mind this book comes from. Uh, and it's actually really cool. Do you have a link? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, let me grab that. Here we go.
3: I it took me, I think, two full days to understand P and NP, and I still think I'm about fifty percent. <laughs> Way there, man. So yeah, those things are not easy for me. I can tell you that much. I
1: I remember the first time somebody tried to explain uh, the big O notation to me. I remember the first time that I had to uh, tell a colleague when he was writing a formal proof for something, and he wrote some calculus down, and I had to admit that I didn't know. I didn't know what the weird-looking e was. (laughs) The summation.
2: That's why Imposter, imposter syndrome. Is very serious because we all have confidence issues. You know, on a good day you might we might not have any, on the bad day we might we might have a lot. But imposter syndrome is paralyzing. And when you have it, it makes it really hard for you to learn new things. Because you look at something and you just go, Oh, this I can't possibly learn this. This just it looks hard. And I feel incapable. So if you, it's important to identify if you have imposter syndrome, so you, you develop some mechanism to get rid of it or minimize it so you can move on and learn things. Because the whole point of it is that you have learned things, but you don't, you have learned things, you have been accomplished, but just imagine how much more you could accomplish if you didn't have that blockage, right?
3: And I think it also helps to like quickly reach out to friends. Like, I think I talk to Eric and Carlicia every day and not every day, but maybe once a week we have these types of conversations and we help each other through it. So you can't like suppress it down. You got to talk about it and find people
1: uh, that you trust to have those
3: conversations.
2: Absolutely. Yes.
1: And let people push you a little bit too. you know, uh, the, the group here and, and uh, Brian. In particular because he's known me the longest you know as everybody's been slowly pushing me like you, you got to do this you got to do this you got to do this you know so so let people push you a little bit out of your comfort zone and uh yeah i mean man it took a it took a long while and ask uh well adam's hiding behind the fourth wall here but uh <laughs> <laughs> um, adam i think has tried to get me to on camera for two two years three years two years uh for GopherCon for kind of like uh you know grand vision and, and love and experience and kind of behind the curtains type stuff sharing with the world and it's like uh uh-uh, uh camera run <laughs> so yeah
2: I, I I wanna second that too. So absolutely make sure you have or you develop a group of, of friends. That you can have safe conversations with that when you were in doubt and you're doubting yourself, you can go back and say, hey, I'm re- having a really hard time with this, but I need to move on. What do I do? You, you don't need the right question. You just say, I'm having a hard time. And they will help you move on. <laughs> you know, I have people that I do this with, like you were saying, we talk like the go time, my co-hosts and producers, you know, like we talk a lot about this stuff. And other people, too, that I have as resources. So it really helps, makes a difference.
3: And, you know, something that I'll tell a lot of people, too, just if this is holding you back at some level, I have a mild form of Tourette's. My daughter has a a more advanced with uh, vocal tics. Um, She's amazing. I mean, she's in college and she deals with that. I have a mild form of Tourette's. And when I get really nervous, it's it can get bad and. That's a fear of mine too, sometimes when I'm out on stage. And I have a trouble watching videos because I see the ticks. It's like drives me crazy. And I've shown Eric a video and Eric's like, I don't see anything. And I'm like, dude, look at this, 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 and this. So if you also feel like, you know, maybe I have a necessarily say Tourette's or some sort of handicap and that's going to cause me to have problems. I'll also try to fight through that as well. If this is something you really want to do.
1: So I think we've uh had a long engaging discussion here. Uh and ran through time. So we'll skip over the projects and news and we'll do kind of, uh, does everybody have something they want to do for free software Friday? Yeah, I have, I have one quick thing uh, okay. I've been using. So, hold on. Before we move on to that, let me just kind of close out the, the last thing. So, w- mm-hmm. you know, we talked about this kind of breaking out of your shell, like let's make 2017 that year. Everybody like, I, I want to see everybody try to, to, to submit some talks or speak at meetups or, or start meetups and, and just kind of break out of that comfort zone. Let's make this the year. Yeah, agreed. Let's do it. So on that free software Friday, Johnny, you had something? Yeah, I've been using this uh,
0: sort of a window management tool, sort of without a keyboard kind of thing for for a long, long time. It's called Spectacle. Um, You can go to uh, spectacleapp.com, I believe. Um, and uh, you'll be able to sort of download it. So it's a quick and easy way to just use your keyboard to you just you know you know um, um, slide windows to the left, to the right, different monitors, you know um, in different areas of the screen. So it's been sort of really sort of uh, helpful for me to help uh, sort of um, keep on top of the different uh, several you know, sort of windows I've got going on. So uh, shout out to the uh, the creators of that project. It's uh, really awesome.
1: Well, that's awesome. And this is for Mac. Yes. Awesome. I need to I need to remember that. I've always been looking for apps to do window management when I'm on my Mac. All right, who's next?
2: I can go next. So this week, somebody showed me a tool that is a uh, like Go Playground, but for Docker, and it's really cool. Uh, this tool was made by Marcos Ligadell. I'm sure I'm not saying his last name correctly. Sorry, Marcos. Uh, he's from Argentina. So he did this tool. It's basically a virtual machine on the web where you can run a Docker Docker container. They create clusters with Docker features like swarm molds. And you can also pair program. It's really, really cool. You should check it out. Nice. Did you guys know this tool? I'm going to paste the link. I had never seen it before.
1: No, I haven't seen it either.
2: Oh, there's a link on the channel.
1: Awesome. And how about you, Bill?
3: This past week, I've, I spent a lot of time with Daniel Whitenack working on our data science class and been learning a lot about pachyderm and all of <laughs> the uh, data science packages like going that. i mean it's just amazing to me what's being developed in this area right now and what i'm learning because i didn't know anything about what really data science was up until really the last couple of weeks really really cool stuff
1: awesome all right so i have something that uh is similar but different to johnny so it's called polybar So um, if you listen to the show, you know that I'm a huge Linux and i3 window manager fan. So it has like a a kind of title bar that has the workspaces in there and and things like that, that are standard. But uh, this is actually kind of like a, a new i3 bar where you can kind of put stuff in there and it's got a lot more styling and stuff to it and clickability and there's sliders and stuff. So. If you happen to use i3 Window Manager, I guess it works with anything, too. If you used Awesome or a number of other uh, window managers, it would work just as well with it. But if you're looking for kind of like a more uh, fun and uh, expandable bar, then that's a good one to look at. It used to be called Lemon Buddy, I think. It got renamed at some point. But that is mine. So before we close out the show, um, Johnny, you got shout out?
0: Yes, I do actually. Um, my first one uh, um, is really to the uh, Baltimore Go community. Um, I recently relocated from Boston after spending about you know, 13 years there um, you know, where I was a co-organizer for Boston Go Lang. In Boston Ruby um, upon relocating down to Maryland I needed some new new tech friends um, so I figured hey there's no better way than to do that than to actually start a meetup and a go meetup is is one of the best ways to do that um, so it's been growing um, you know every every month every time we meet there's uh, there's a few more people showing up um, just want to give a shout out to them especially those that have been coming consistently um, month to month um, and we, we are growing it, it's great to see that so I'm hoping to sort of replicate the same sort of a growth success story that I saw in Boston um, and really sort of establish a sort of a thriving uh, GO community in the Baltimore area. Um, My last shout out is uh, is to you. Um, Yes, you, the one listening to the show right now um, that's dealing with the imposter syndrome um, and and you're sort of thinking, okay, how do I muster up the energy and the courage to sort of rise above it? Know that you are not alone, right? The internet's got, you know, the web's got lots of resources but again, you know, take advantage of uh, some of the resources we pointed out during the show And I know that I'm rooting for you. right? I've been right there. You know, if if you want to reach out, you know, there's there's plenty of people that will help you do this. You're not alone. So, you know, uh, um, best of luck to you.
1: And I'd like to add to that. Likely there's nobody on this show that is less secure than you Or, or, Yeah, man, double negatives are hard. (laughs) But everybody here on this show is, is just as insecure, you know some of us more than others, but there's nobody on this show that feels like confident in all of their abilities all day or day. Like it's just, (laughs) it just doesn't happen like that. So, so like Johnny said, you're, you're not alone. Feel free to reach out to us too. You know, we're, we're happy to talk about some of the stuff behind the scenes too. You know, we're getting a little more public during this episode, but I know I've had conversations with, with several people, you know, behind the scenes and kind of shared personally, you know, what what it's really like behind the scenes versus is you know the public perception and and back to our point before free software friday make 2017 the year that you step out of your shell and 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 get out in front of people even if it's a five minute lightning talk help meetup organizers organize lightning talk night where every talk that night is lightning talks no one person talking the whole meetup just 10 five minute talks and let people just get that five minutes they can Rush through it and, and feel done, and then they can feel confident the next time where like nothing bad happened from that five minutes. Maybe I'll do another one. So helpful, so helpful to do that. So with that, uh, I think it's time to wrap up the show. I want to thank everybody who's here on the show, uh, especially coming in and kind of sharing kind of your your deep kind of personal fears and feelings on things. Huge shout out to our sponsors, uh, Stack Impact and Backtrace. Without them, we couldn't keep doing this show. So definitely go show them some love. Definitely share the show with uh, fellow go programmers and this one. I mean, this this one isn't necessarily just go. So you know if you know somebody who has imposter syndrome, you know, send them this episode have them join and listen to every episode we are time.fm on the interwebs uh if you haven't subscribed yet we are at gotimefm on twitter uh github.com slash gotimefm slash king. if you want to be on the show you have comments you have uh topic suggestions uh with that uh goodbye everybody we'll see you next week
2: goodbye bye this was fun bye
1: Special thanks to our sponsors, Stack Impact
0: and Bag Because of them, we're able to produce this show. Also want to thank Breakmaster Cylinder for the awesome beats and Fastly for the bandwidth.